Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hello and welcome to Aging Life Network. This is your host, Nancy. I have another very special guest with me today and we will be discussing another very important topic and that is bringing your values and wishes into your conversations with those who someday may be responsible for making healthcare end-of-life decisions for you. We will also be talking about the importance of having these conversations with your loved ones whom you will be making decisions for. Most of us think and believe that having our powers of attorney in advance directive or perhaps a DNR, DNI, a do not resuscitate, do not intubate order, will instruct others about what to do in the future. However, there are many uh, what ifs and instances and and medical um, situations that can come along when it comes to our health and how our last days on earth might look. For many older adults, COVID and their decision about whether to be put on a respirator has many seniors reevaluating their end of life plans. According to the Conversation Project, 92% of people say that talking with their loved ones about end of life care is important yet only 18% have had this conversation with their doctor and only 32% have had this conversation with their loved ones. Um, 21% of people say they haven't had the conversation because they don't want to upset their loved one. Although those same people, 53% say they'd be relieved if a loved one actually started the conversation with them. Um, And last, 97% of people say it's important to put their wishes in writing, but only 37% have actually done it. So this is why we're here today. And, um, you know, few understand these what-ifs and how they impact individuals as well as their families and decision makers more than my guest today. I would say that Joan Gibson is a true pioneer in this area. Joan was teaching, discussing, and working to advance um, medical ethics and decision-making before anyone I'm aware of was doing so. She and a colleague developed the first values history. She founded and directed the Health Sciences Ethics Program at the University of New Mexico and chaired the ethics committee of a local hospital for more than 20 years. Today, Joan speaks, trains, and writes about bioethics, values-based, and end-of-life decision-making, as well as advanced care, health care planning. She works closely with the Boston-based organization, The Conversation Project, and can be found at joanmgibson.com. Welcome, Joan, and thank you for being with me today. Good to be with you, Nancy. Thanks a lot. So, Joan, um, please tell us how you became involved in this work and why it's been a lifelong passion for you. Yeah, I, I'm picking the word lifelong uh, from, that, uh, from that first question. 
And I guess mine is a story of a young woman in high school who fancied herself going into medicine or science. My dad was San Diego's first anesthesiologist back in the 30s, went to um, a college and was quickly disabused uh, about my skills and capacities in science <laughs> and uh, discovered my sophomore year uh, the study of philosophy. Um, I think there was that sort of, oh my goodness, look from my parents when I announced that I was going to major in philosophy. As I think about it, and I think about where I am now, um, at age 76, from way, way back um, in my early days, I was preoccupied with questions of why and what does this all mean, and what, uh, really, uh, what really matters. I ended up <clears throat> getting my graduate degree in philosophy uh, in the late 60s. I started teaching, excuse me, and in uh, the mid-70s found myself uh, teaching at a small liberal arts college here in Albuquerque and was asked in the mid-70s to design an ethics course for nurses. Uh, this really was the early days of uh, medical ethics, <clears throat> bioethics, and um, it also coincided with the infancy of medical and bioethics the main topics of which were genetics and end-of-life decision-making. This was uh, the era of Karen and Quinlan, the development mm -hmm. of technologies mm -hmm. that allowed us to transplant organs, and we were faced for the first time uh, because of these technological developments with having to make decisions uh, about treatments that previously there was nothing we could do about. Now we absolutely had to um, develop some policies and laws uh, that would address questions of when is it all right to stop life-sustaining uh, treatment? Mm -hmm. What should we do with patients and families? who request treatments or removal for going of treatments that might um, uh, not agree with what physicians and nurses thought. So really for uh, my own predisposition over uh, the years, combined with really coincidental, serendipitous um, events, um, I found myself teaching, chairing an ethics committee, um, living in a state, New Mexico, uh, that was one of the real pioneers in living will legislation. We called our first legislation right to die. Mm -hmm. you know, so here I am uh, with that professional background. And at the same time, mm -hmm. in 1975, my mm -hmm. husband, Mike Gibson was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> and I found myself during the day teaching and working um, with uh, lawyers and, and legislators and then coming home and our family life um, was sprinkled with having to actually experience what it was like from a family member's perspective, um, mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. about advanced care planning, what to do if, etc. And mm-hmm. so I was, uh, I suppose, fortunate with quotation marks around that word to be able to think about, again, this confluence of my academic theoretical teaching life and what it's actually like on the ground. And I've tried hard uh, not to let go of that importance. And if I uh, did try to forget about it this last February, uh, when I myself had Um, an aortic valve replaced with open heart surgery, Um, uh, once again, uh, it was really time for me to pay attention to what it's like as a patient, as a family member. So that's sort of my uh, philosopher's long-winded answer to your question about my lifelong passion. So the personal and professional really have been very intertwined and in your life yes as as it is for many of us in this um in this field of aging i believe um yeah in particular um for me it became you know i've personally been in this field also for um 25 years and um and uh, found myself, you know, having uh, tried to have the conversation, and we'll talk about that a little bit, to um, discuss some of the what ifs with my own, one of my own parents, and who um, assured me she would do it with um, a sibling who she lived with, and she did not. And, um, you know, her last few years were very difficult, and we weren't able to attain from her what her wishes would be. And so it became uh, a real challenge for her five children to discuss and guess and and try to figure out what to do. And so, yes, um, regardless of whether you're in the field and doing this work, you can be challenged all the time with... Um, I might be a little more... Um what shall I say, confrontational and say not uh, despite, but um, maybe even in some instances because of uh, our training to Mm -hmm. hold at arm's length um, these uh, feelings and vulnerabilities Uh, I remember in the early days of um, giving talks to professional groups, and I would just ask for a show of hands, and most of them were physicians, nurses, healthcare professionals. How many of you think it's really important um, for your patients to make their wishes known? You know, everybody would raise their hands. And then, then I would follow up with, and... 
how many of you have done it? And sometimes I would separate it out, physicians, nurses, um, so medical social workers. <laughs> and, um, you know, I will say back then that the, um, the physicians were routinely the smallest representation of people uh, who had done that. Um, it might be a chicken and a question why that was, but I think it is instructive uh, for mm-hmm. us, especially your professionals who are listening in, uh, you know, to sort of look in the mirror and ask yourselves, um, have I done that? Have I really had these conversations? It's important personally, but also right. to mm-hmm. be able uh, to be comfortable in broaching that subject uh, with your uh, patients, and especially nurses. Um, anyway. Well, and I, yes, and I wonder if um, sometimes the people don't have the conversation because they're not sure of exactly, um, you know, what all the possibilities are. So, for instance, um, and it may just be my particular friend group, but I I think there's a lot of um, younger seniors, particularly, you know, people who have had family members that have had dementia. You know, you often hear people say, I don't want to go through that. Or, you know, if that happens to me, um, you know, just shoot me. I mean, people say, you know, different things, right? Mm -hmm. We say it sort of flippantly, but we don't actually stop and think, you know, what will I do? And, and there's also the fact that you don't 100% always know what you will do until the moment arrives. So the best you can do is communicate where you are today. That's right. Um, And I I will say also that um, I think those of us in our professions who have a history now um, over the last 40 years with advanced directives, you know, if I were just to go um, out and do a random non-scientific survey of folks on the street, and if I were to ask them, when you hear... Uh, let's say the term living will or advanced directive. Um, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And especially nurses, doctors, etc. I suspect the majority of them would say, well, death and dying. And, and I will say that when mm-hmm. Mike was in the hospital for many of his Uh, surgeries related to uh, his rheumatoid arthritis, the uh, advanced directive form in the early days would, let's say, appear on his food tray. Uh, And it would be, you know, have you filled this out? And um, I would say in my somewhat naughty way, oh, yes, we're delighted you're here in our hospital. We hope you enjoy the food. And, you know, if you should be about to die, we want to make sure that you do it, that we honor how it is you want to do this um, uh, really sort of uh, joined at the hip. Um, death and dying and advanced directive, I think has unintentionally um, 
uh, kept folks, uh, oh, yeah, well, you know, maybe when I am about to die, I'll talk about that. But I, I don't want to don't want to think about that now, yes. which is why when we proceed with this conversation, uh, we'll talk about the benefits of really moving this conversation up earlier to include uh, how values should inform all the medical decisions that we make. And if that is done over the course of a lifetime of medical decisions, by the time you get to the really serious big ticket late in life decisions, you won't be learning that skill for the first time. Well, and and the people around you will have a deeper sense of who you are and what you might want if it's right. a, a, a what if or a situation that, you know, has not specifically been, been addressed. Uh, Indeed. If you're not able to, at that moment, express yourself. So yeah. that would be important. Um, so um, we've only got a couple minutes before we take our first break. Okay. I would like um, for us to talk about, you know, why it's important that you share it with your loved ones. And I think we've said some of that um, and maybe talk about how we approach um, our loved ones. I think um, – particularly if we're approaching, um, I mean, certainly we should all do it for ourselves. And, um, but I think when it comes to approaching a parent, let's say, or a spouse, it can be a little tricky um, or people become concerned about how to approach the subject. They're afraid they're going to upset somebody as I was thinking about this, Nancy, I, I um, focused on the word talk. Uh, and if we mm-hmm. look historically, um, back in the mid-70s when states were developing their various living will laws, there was a focus, I think in those days for real legal reasons, there was a focus on... Mm-hmm. Uh, written documents, write mm-hmm. this down. Right. Um, and um, we would, would do that as I was uh, looking at some of your suggested questions. I was, um, I, I returned to uh, the laugh-in comedy. And if any of your listeners were mm-hmm. around <laughs> in those days, Henry Gibson was one of the characters uh, in, in Laugh-In. And he kept saying, Marshall McLuhan, what are you doing? And McLuhan's famous phrase was, the medium is the message. And the medium, whether it is the written advance directive or the conversation, the medium, which is our social media platform today, Mm -hmm. Uh, Look at the effect, the power, the reach of that medium. 
Think mm-hmm. about the medium of conversation, mm-hmm. of talk. It's mm-hmm. one thing for me to take my advanced directive form and mm-hmm. write things down and then hand it to my decision maker. Um, it's another thing for me to sit down with my uh, adult daughter, who is my um authorized decision maker. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the genius, and we can talk about this after the break, Mm -hmm. of Ellen Goodman, who in 2010 founded the Conversation Project. Mm -hmm. She didn't call it the Written Advanced Directive Project. She called it the Conversation Mm -hmm. Project. And what I'd love to do is talk a little bit about the power and really the necessity for conversation for uh, those of us who are trying to explain our values and our loved ones who are trying to understand them so that they can implement them. The only way to do that is through this conversational exchange. And you talk about family conflicts and um, all the (laughs) things that have been building up for years. The conversation really brings that out. My bottom line is it's going to come out and it's going to either come out in the ER or the ICU or it's going to come out earlier where we can deal with some of those very messy complications. Perfect. And um, we will get back to that after our first break. Um, I'm here with Joan Gibson, and we're about to really um, have quite a conversation coming up after the break. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. 
Hi, this is Nancy. You're back with Aging Life Network, and I'm here with Joan Gibson. And we left off with her talking about having the conversation, the power of the conversation uh, versus the written directives. And um, I'm going to hand it over to you, Joan. Okay. As, yes, as we were saying, um, Nancy, the, the, the history of advanced care planning pretty much started with a written, quite formal uh, legal document and yes. then uh, moved from a discussion, let's say, of what you would want your treatments to be or for what treatments you would want not to have to, uh, well, I'm not really sure about the treatments, but let me tell you about my values, about things that matter to me. And then, um, starting in the 21st century and really kicking off with Ellen Goodman's conversation project, we're focusing on the medium of conversation. And it was a, a, a skill and a learning that really came to me when I uh, was taking a conflict resolution course. And it brought home to me the uh, power and the absolutely um, essential nature of having conversations to tease out what we're really talking uh, about. Um, Ellen Goodman, uh, Mm -hmm. from the beginning with her conversation project, and by the way, uh, for your listeners, uh, you can go to the Conversation Project website, theconversationproject.org, uh, yes. um, and all their resources there are downloadable. They're free. <clears throat> and there's a message from Ellen Goodman, and she tells the story of um, uh, her mother, who, as she moved into more serious dementia, Um, would not talk with Ellen about what mattered to her, the mother. And Ellen Goodman started the conversation project aimed at everyday folks sitting around the kitchen table trying to figure out what can I do to make um, having these conversations earlier something that isn't entirely off-putting. And her phrase was, I kept wishing that I had my mother's voice in my ear. Yes. Fast forward to 2010, when my husband, who because of um, uh, early toxic meds for rheumatoid arthritis, for his rheumatoid arthritis, discovered in 2007 that he had kidney failure was on dialysis mm-hmm. and uh, got a kidney from young, a young man who'd been riding his mountain bike in New Mexico. I have since become close with his family. And his mother said, yes, Craig had checked off on his driver's license. I am a, um, organ. a an organ, organ donor. Mm-hmm. But she said, because I had Craig's voice in my ear, making that difficult decision about organ donation was not easy 
but it was possible. This power of voice, of conversation, stays with us and gets into our brain, if you will, in a way that nothing else does. So if you really want, number one, to tease out with your family, and number two, um, get some staying power uh, for your values that matter to you, the medium of conversation is essential. I believe we are hardwired to be storytellers, and I would invite your listeners, as you're thinking about after this podcast is over, what do you remember? And I suspect what you'll remember are some of the personal stories that Nancy and I reflect. Think about that and um, try to find ways uh, without let's say, focusing directly on if I'm about to die, here's what I want to do, I want you to do. But think about stories and think about gentle conversations that will bring people in in a safer way before you're seriously ill or really Mm -hmm. faced with your, your own mortality. And I suspect that um, uh, your family and friends will um, come to the table and listen. So, it, it, yes, it may. It suddenly, I, I had this thought that, you know, talking with, let's say, you know, a parent about, or or a friend or spouse, talking with them about. Um, you know, the last few years of their loved one's life, their own mother, their own aunt or uncle, you know, what was that experience like? How did, how do you feel about what happened? Um, yeah. I yes. wonder if that might be. Right. An and if um, you see a movie or you read a book um, or as you know, we get older, it is, you know, if you're the least bit woke, um, mm-hmm. uh, not to have friends and family. And especially in this time of COVID-19, you know, one of the unintended benefits, if you will, is it is much easier to engage people in a conversation Uh, Because let's face it, um, uh, we're scared and we realize that this is not hypothetical. This is not abstract. This is our Mm -hmm. reality. Correct. I, in my own practice with um, individual seniors, I have had many call me that say, I may have a DNR, DNI, but you know, this was early on in the in COVID, early on, March, April, and they were calling saying, you know, I'm not sure I want to be on a respirator. Mm-hmm. And so it people are really questioning also uh, many years ago, you know, I adopted your uh, values history form that was developed. Um, and yet 
and people fill them out, people that I work with, but I've always insisted that I have a conversation with them after they fill it out, that I review it with them, that I, that I ask questions and I, and I make little notes of quotes of things that they say, things they, because you say things in conversation that's different than what you would write down. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And so I've always insisted on those conversations. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, One, um, I'm I'm quite sure that many of your listeners are aware of this, uh, but it bears repeating. And that is there are guides, there are statements of preferences, such as our um, uh, living wills, advanced directives, mm-hmm. uh, and they may have legal standing, but they are not medical orders. And when you speak about do not resuscitate, do not intubate, yes. uh, those, because they are signed by a licensed medical professional, physician, advanced practice uh, professional, depending on your state. Those are medical orders, and they have a, um, a power, uh, a mandatory presence, if you will, that um, advanced directives don't have. We can, you know, mm-hmm. people can talk about that later, but sometimes mm-hmm. uh, when families, if they haven't understood that and they present it as a medical roadmap, um, it, it is not the same as something that is signed uh, by a physician. So that's just a, a caveat, um, a caveat there. Correct. And yes, I have a podcast about preparing for medical emergency. Good. And we spend a lot of time on, on some of the um, documents that you have to have if you want certain things. Excellent. And the the physician's order, the POLST, uh, we call it the most form here. Those Mm -hmm. are medical orders. And I would Mm -hmm. uh, commend your listeners to Mm -hmm. indeed go to that that podcast. But you know what, Joan? I insist on the values history and all of that with, with people I've worked with over the years. I haven't done it myself. <laughs> and I haven't had the conversation with my 25-year-old. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's so. really, and, and thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing that. So I will say here I am, you know, 76. Mm-hmm. I, I did all that a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until I was faced with the prospect of open-heart surgery Mm-hmm. And I um, had my adult daughter, who was my designated healthcare decision maker, mm-hmm. and then three friends, close friends. Um, and I um, said, I would really like to take you out to lunch. And I would like to have a conversation about what really matters to me and there was you know the initial as one could imagine uh, a little bit of um, uh, reticence if you will not for me Uh, for me it was really quite urgent 
And I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, if ever there was somebody and a group of folks who knew about the importance and were really on board with this, still that, uh, you know, getting over that speed bump was not easy. No. Um, mm-hmm. And when it was done, uh, we all realized that it was a very uh, special, very special time. And uh, we can talk about this in a bit if you want. Um, focusing on the values history form and focusing on, um, you know, here's what's important to me as far as whether or not to um, resuscitate me, intubate me. Mm -hmm. um, Let me tell you uh, what my goals are. Let me tell you um, what makes me smile when I get up in the morning. Let me tell you what uh, I dread. Um, And I actually, talking about different media, um, a year ago, before I knew I was going to have the surgery, I wrote a letter to my family and my friends. And I found the letter um, a much easier and in in a way um, a powerful way to communicate with my family and friends when you are faced with decisions you know here's what really matters to me mm-hmm. um, here you know if I can have my cats around me if I can't be next to the ocean, which I, it's hard to do here in New Mexico, you know, if you can play the sound of waves, uh, which will sort of remind me deep in my brain of growing up on the Pacific Ocean in San Diego. Yeah. Um, these are the things uh, which I would like you to be able to communicate to the medical team who can say, well, you know, if this really is is your goal for your mom or your good friend, here's what we can do. Um, and the letter was easier uh, yeah. to write. Interesting. Um, it really was. Yes. Some people I know with their iPads, they dictate either through audio or with an actual little video presentation talking to their family. Uh, and yeah. it's a way of having a conversation, um, but it's a little easier to begin with. So, you know, when when you have a chance, just play this uh, video and then maybe the next time as a family when we have a Zoom or get together, we, when that if we ever, ever yeah. happens, um, we will have introduced uh, that subject. So thank you, Nancy, for for sharing that. Um, It's hard to be vulnerable. Well, and I think um, when you're a younger senior, I'll put myself in that category, um, it it feels farther away. Um, It feels... um, um, you know, it, the what ifs feel uh, foreign. So um, until you're faced with it from another family member, perhaps, 
it becomes more real or from, you know, with your friends departing. Um, uh, So, however, um, I do believe that, um, you know, it's as important as having that will, as having that power of attorney. I mean, that's what I'm really getting is um, because you never know from one day to the next. We never it, know, it, particularly. It is, it is a gift. It, and it's a gift to to the people you love to do that with them, for them. Um, when we, we're going to have to take another break. Um, but when we come back, yeah, let's talk about... Um, that the story I've heard from um, your colleague with the conversation project about her father. It's a great story. So I want to share that. And, um, and then let's talk about some more, just some more practical uh, approaches and things we can offer to the listeners on how to, on how to do this with folks. Okay. We'll be right back. Um, This is Nancy with aging life network. Um, Yeah, we'll talk in 90 seconds. Thanks. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, this is Nancy. We're back. I'm here with Joan Gibson, um, philosopher and bioethics ethicist. And uh, we left off. um, I asked her about um, telling us the story of um, her colleague at the Conversation Project, Dr. Susan Block. It's a great story. So I'm thinking now, um, as we we close out this segment, it's really time to get practical. Uh, and mm-hmm. personal. Yes. And uh, Susan Block is a palliative care physician. And if you go to the Conversation Project website, you will see this story repeated. Oh. But Susan Block, um, uh, her father was um, 
uh, in surgery or scheduled for surgery the next day. And as she said, you know, much as Nancy confessed to you, um, oh, my gosh, you know, we haven't talked uh, my father and me uh, about what he would want and I'm his decision maker you would think that anybody uh, like me would have done this early on but but mm-hmm. no so the night before his surgery she said so you know what's important to you if I have to make decisions uh, w- what do I really know what should I know about what matters to you and her father said well I guess you should know that I really like chocolate ice cream. And I really like watching football on television. And Dr. Block thought, you know, well, that really perhaps isn't what I had in mind, but that's all I'm going to get. Sure enough, the next day during surgery, the surgeon uh, in the middle of surgery um, contacted uh, Dr. Block, who was there, Uh, waiting for her father and said, your father has experienced an internal bleed. And um, if we um, repair it, he'll be uh, paralyzed from the waist down. And if we don't, he'll die. What should we do? And she asked of the physician, well, if you repair it and he's paralyzed, will he be able to enjoy chocolate ice cream? And will he still be able to watch and enjoy football on television? And the answer was yes. And she said, you know, go ahead and do it. And for me, uh, removing the focus on would you want to be resuscitated? Would you want to be intubated? And uh, targeting um What really matters to you? Um, What do you look forward to? Um, And when I've done that with family and friends and clients uh, who are doing advanced care planning, they get it. And it just um, is a comfort and a release from the tension that comes with trying to understand medical treatments and confront right there, um, their own mortality. Yes. Great story. Yeah. So uh, yeah. on to practical matters. Practical, practical steps. So, um, you know, in the end, Nancy, this really has to do with relationships. This really has to do with uh, thinking about who knows us well and who um, has the the capacity to really be a surrogate decision maker for us. So the first practical step is um, you got to pick a person. You have to designate a person to be your legally authorized decision maker. Now, that doesn't mean that other people can't be a part of it, but the first thing to do is pick that decision maker. When you go on to the Conversation Project's website, you will find a wonderful resource on how to select and how to be an effective healthcare uh, decision maker with a power of attorney for healthcare decisions. The second is you pick that person. Um, 
talk to that person, have the conversation. I suspect some of you may have experienced, um, well, I pick somebody, I name that person, and then when the crisis hits the fan, uh, they had neglected to talk to that person, even to let them know that they had been named. And even if they had named them, they'd avoided talking with them. This is a time to figure out how is the best way to approach, here's what matters to me. Uh, and you may be facing a serious illness, or mm -hmm. you may be quite a bit younger. Uh, and on the Conversation Project website, there are starter kits for different stages and ages and situations. Take a look at those. That was the number two. And number three, especially in this era of COVID-19, if you had thought about your decisions uh, beforehand, um, have they changed? And I will say uh, that um, I added to my advanced care planning document, if in fact, um, given my earlier instructions, you might be inclined to keep me on a ventilator, but if now with COVID-19, I'm on the ventilator and because of that, somebody else does not have access to it, then please, um, uh, make that ventilator available. Uh, you know, that may or may not be something that actually happens, but this is, a, you know, they've got our attention. The virus yes. uh, has got our and attention mm -hmm. by all of that. Mm -hmm. Finally, a practical thing to think about is for those of us who have adult children, do we know what they would want um, if, you know, heaven forbid, uh, something happens to them. Uh, the family of the young man, the 17-year-old man um, who uh, donated a kidney to my husband, uh, they had never um, in, in the world thought that they would have to be faced with that. Yeah. But having asked of the younger people in our family, uh, you know, and the thought of not having them around is um, incredibly painful. But again, um, this cuts in all directions. Yes. Um, there is a wonderful document, and I can give this to Nancy, and she can post it on her website. The Institute of Medicine has what it calls uh, its life cycle model for healthcare decision-making titled, It's Time to Have the Conversation When. Uh, and it starts with when you get a driver's license, when you form a long-term relationship, when you have a child, when you plan to retire. So uh, throughout uh, the life cycle, um, these are times when it's kind of natural to stop and say, oh yeah, thinking about what really matters to me, here it is. Um, and um, it is an excellent uh, document that doesn't focus on death and dying, 
but it focuses on age and stage and recognizing that as we move through our life cycle, what matters to us likewise evolves. Very helpful. Yes. Also, um, the values history form we've brought up a couple of times. I know that I have it as a free download on eaglifenetwork.com. I think you also have it. Um, yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, they can go just look up the values history form. I've got a, a beautiful little letter uh, that folks can find on um the um, uh, the conversation project website uh, and it's free for anybody to download it, it's a beautiful uh, summary I think of how many of us uh, feel it's written by a uh, woman a physician Karen Boudreau and it's called a letter to my family and it's entitled don't panic and it is a wonderful voice. Uh, may, may I just read it? It's quite short. Yes, please. If you're faced with a decision you're not ready for, it's okay. I'll try to let you know what I would want for various circumstances. But if you come to something you haven't anticipated, it's okay. And if you come to a decision point and what you decide results in my death, it's okay. You don't need to worry that you've caused my death. You haven't. I will die because of my illness or my body failing or whatever. You don't need to be responsible. Forgiveness is not required, but if you feel bad, responsible, guilty, first of all, don't. And second of all, you are loved and forgiven. If you're faced with a snap decision, don't panic. Choose comfort. Choose home. Choose less intervention. Choose to be together at my side, holding my hand, singing, laughing, loving, celebrating, and carrying on. I will keep loving you and watching you, and being proud of you. That's amazing. I have that attached to the letter that I wrote to my family, and it says, you know, this pretty much expresses it. And just for a moment, let it sink in how this is not abstract. This is not a formal document. This is Karen Boudreaux's voice coming through and um, it is a way of communicating that um, lasts for a long time yes and do the best you can yeah the end huh (laughs) yeah the end (laughs) amazing yeah you know I um that was very emotional for me. And um, I appreciate you sharing that yeah. with everyone. And these are feeling times. You know, so much of our advanced care planning is heady, quote, left brain, unquote, stuff. But in the end, uh, relationships, vulnerability, uh, mortality, feelings, 
Mm-hmm. You know, this is really um, the repository of things that matter most to me. And yes. to me, that kind of letter uh, yes. lets in and out what matters most to us. Yes. So um, I want to thank you, Joan Gibson, for this amazing um, hour that you've shared with me and you've shared with so many other people. Um, I wish you good health and um, and everything that's that's great in the world. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, this is Nancy at Aging Life Network. Um, I want to thank all of you for joining us, and I will see you next week. We will be, um, I'll be visiting with two dementia um, professionals uh, who will be talking about using communication as a tool for managing uh, dementia-related difficult behaviors. And so I'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Thank you, Joan. Have a good week. Bye. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.